Hi, and welcome to the latest Tech Trends podcast brought to you by Vanilla Plus, IoT Now, and the Evolving Enterprise. I'm Jeremy Cowan, and I am delighted you're joining us for today's sometimes serious, sometimes lighthearted look at digital transformation for enterprises. Our first guest is Sunil Diaz, General Manager of Canada-based Enghouse Networks. Enghouse Networks offers a wide range of OSS and BSS software applications, geographical information systems, network infrastructure, IPTV, and video collaboration solutions. Enghouse Networks are our sponsors for today's podcast. So, Big thanks to them, and in particular, a warm welcome to you, Sunil. Thank you, uh, Jeremy. And our other guest may be new to the pod, but he's from an analyst firm we know well. That's Mac Nation. Josh Taubenheim is an IoT analyst who's joining us from North Carolina, and recent visitors to iot-now.com may recognize his name as Josh has written a great article for us recently on optimizing IoT deployments, and we hope we'll persuade him to do many more. So welcome to you too, Josh. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you both. And later on, Josh and I will be interviewing Sunil, exploring his vision for 5G and IoT and much more, and asking about the arrival of new players in the telco space and what this means for new services. And finally, in What the Tech, we'll share what's made each of us smile or maybe frown lately. Anyway, let's dive straight into the news headlines. Sunil, what have you spotted in the news? Most recently, I was reading about um, Alphabet, that Google's uh, subsidiary that launched um, um, their internet uh, balloons, I guess, loons to... um, cover and in partnership with um, Telecom Kenya, um, launched their um, stratospheric uh, balloon project. So the launch took place from Puerto Rico and headed south to Peru, um, circumnavigating the globe um, and landing in uh, Baja, Mexico, uh, almost 100 flight systems in the air. Um, And and the main purpose of um, doing this was to uh, beam Uh, internet connectivity into rural and remote and underserved areas. So uh, pretty, pretty interesting use case, given, uh, you know, what's what's happening with um, COVID and um, work from home environment um, and and the challenges that uh, many areas of the world are facing in uh, internet uh, bandwidth and connectivity. I find it fascinating uh, that they're able to circumnavigate the globe. Is, uh, when you say 100 flight systems, does that mean uh, 100 uh, aircraft that are interlinked and handing off to one another? Yes, it's, they call it a fleet, so I'm not sure if it's aircraft or if it's um, a fleet of uh, balloons. Um, i dig more into it, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it certainly seems like uh, a massive fleet that's circumnavigating the world. 
Yeah, I understand. Um, actually, from what I've read, that it is balloons. But uh, I hadn't appreciated before you raised this, and I had a look at what you wanted to mention. That it was such a complex dance that <laughs> seems to be going around around the stratosphere. Um, I find it absolutely amazing, and keeping that uh, for three hundred and twelve days is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I believe their uh, prior record was for 89 days so that's yeah. interesting uh, and even better loon is from what i understand already earning revenues you've mentioned telcom kenya and anyone familiar with the mobile comms environment will know that kenya is not it's not the first time in the headlines for innovation because kenya was one of the first countries in the world to launch mobile money and banking services so uh, i for one plan to watch this with some seriousness and, and, and growing interest. Um, uh, Josh, was this something that you've come across before? I was actually kind of curious how it relates to, um, are you guys familiar with the uh, Starlink project that Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX have launched, where they've launched all these satellites to provide uh, you know, internet connectivity um, around the globe, but this is, this is actually like in orbit? It kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, um, there, you're absolutely right. That's an orbiting um, link and obviously comparable in, it, in its uh, intention and its goals. Um, I'm not sure how far they've got with that, but I know that uh, it certainly hasn't been dropped. There's a, another service that um, I, I might mention that later because uh, there's a very similar sort of thing going on in other quarters, but we'll come to that in a while. Josh, what tech stories caught your eye? Um, well, so something I saw recently, and it's really something I've been following sort of throughout all of 2020, is this issue of cybersecurity in connected uh, um, IoT devices. And in particular, this news article I saw was warning of a sort of a large impending uh, cyber attack on healthcare infrastructure systems. Being in the US, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's familiar, we've been seeing this recent uptick in COVID-19 cases. And our hospitals are, if not overloaded, you know, already close to the breaking point. It, it's really been a trend throughout the last couple of years that as more devices have come online, obviously more vulnerabilities have been exposed. Uh, it's, it's been something that there's been multiple um, security firms and government agencies warning of this, this massive cybersecurity attack, uh, malware attack that would block critical systems out from from hospitals that would that would prevent uh you know our frontline workers who are already overworked and i think the last thing on their mind probably is their it infrastructure you know these nurses and these doctors trying to provide care if this sort of cybersecurity you know hack and these attacks continue to to happen it's only really going to make things worse so that is you know something that jumped out to me in the last in the last week or so yeah i i agree i mean one of the things that's come over to me for covering security over the years in uh, telco IT, but uh, increasingly Internet of Things is the number of security firms that say that if a hacker is determined to get in, a bit like a burglar, they probably will. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's not just a, about ensuring that you have the security to try and make yours uh, a place that they struggle to get into, so hopefully they'll go somewhere else. But it's also about um, thinking about what we all do next if it happens, 
if it happens to us in our firms and our organisations, in this case in hospitals, I mean, do we have plans in place for when IT goes down? What's our planned response? Do, do we even have one? What's, where is our backup data and how can we access it? Um, I, I think these are questions that an awful lot of organisations could do with asking themselves. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when when these attacks happen, the healthcare workers are essentially reduced to pen and paper, you know, um, really limiting their ability to provide that, that care that we desperately need, especially now. And I think it's just increasingly a relevant topic to cover in 2020, especially. I think it's true of um, hospitals just as much as it's true of any of our organizations. Can we even function while we try and bring back online and i'm sure we've all read stories i've certainly written stories about you know the trend towards ransomware um sunil was there anything that struck about this story well uh, you know it's it's interesting as we think of um iot and the uh, proliferation of um, devices especially in the context of um, healthcare Cybersecurity, I guess, is um, one big aspect of it. The other is um, essentially the connectivity that is required and and, um, our uh, communication service providers that are coming to grasps with um, how to um, interplay uh, connectivity and um, cybersecurity. So that's an interesting aspect. Yeah. I think um, if you're in the U.S., you could probably benefit from checking out the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, you'll find them at CISA.gov, C-I-S-A-G-O-V. Um, and there are, of course, parallel agencies in many other countries. I only mentioned that one because it was uh, a story emanating from the U.S., um, anyway, it seems to be our week for looking up at the skies, because as I was hinting, there, there was a similar tech story that I noticed from Reuters in Berlin. It's headline Deutsche Telekom tests mobile antenna in the stratosphere. And apparently the German telco has also successfully tested an aerial mobile comms base station in the stratosphere, aiming to reach remote areas that are probably uneconomical for earthly networks. Uh, apparently, DT is working with its partner, the UK-based startup Stratospheric Platforms, what else would they be called, has and has connected its terrestrial 4G network to a remotely piloted aircraft flying at uh, over 14,000 metres. That's about 45,000 feet, I guess. So according to... Deutsche Telekom, this gives the aerial base station a 90-mile-wide footprint. Uh, That's about 140 kilometres in other money. So, of course, this is going to bring 4G services one step closer in remote areas. But from what I understand, the, the partners are also looking further ahead beyond web access or voice and video calls for smartphone users. The telco think thinks it could actually enhance 5G networks to enable services like autonomous cars. Now, Sunil, you mentioned the rival service starting from Alphabet's Loon using high-altitude balloons. And we know that um, a couple of years ago, Facebook grounded its own solar-powered drone. It it, it seems Deutsche Telekom has been using a, a propeller plane in test flights instead of balloons over southern Germany. And something must be going right because stratospheric platform is developing its own 
pilotless aircraft, and it's got a wingspan as big as a jumbo jet. Um, it, the numbers involved in these things are extraordinary. I don't think it can manage 320, 312 days uh, of coverage yet, like Google, but it has stayed aloft for nine days. So um, the next plan seems to be to power it with a hydrogen fuel cell stack. And the first flight for that is expected in 2022. Just, I guess, don't hold your breath for the new service because it probably won't be deployed until 2024. Uh, I, the numbers and the, the scale of these ambitions are breathtaking. What do you make of it, guys? Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it forms uh, part um, Google's um, other bets, uh, part of their business. If you, if you look at their financial results, Google's done extremely well, but the other bets, um, uh, part of their business, um, apparently posted an operating loss of over a billion dollars on, on a revenue of $187 million. Well, that's Google, but you know, when you look at communication service providers and the telcos uh, looking to also move into these other bets and trying to move up the value chain, that's an interesting um, industry shift, I guess. I've been in the industry for um, over uh, 25 years, but um, you know, the telcos were always uh, this uh, state um, utility providing connectivity and pipes, but to, to see the transformation uh, moving into, I guess, digital transformation and other bets is interesting. Yeah, this could be hardly further removed from a utility approach. Investing alongside uh, Deutsche Telekom, apparently Stratospherics uh, will uh, be taking new investments. I think the UK firm has already raised somewhere north of £10 million and is looking for another £50 million. That's about $97 million in real money. Um, so nobody said this would be cheap or quick, come to that. Uh, Josh, are they going to be getting any of your cash? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not lived in the, the you know, communication service provider world that much, but it's just, uh, you know, from an application perspective to me, how this has become sort of the new arena, I guess, if you will. Like it, it, I remember a couple of years ago, fiber was all the rage. You know, I just think from you know, my, my perspective as studying technology, all the different applications this could have, you know, and maybe going back to that sort of healthcare aspect too, think about like contact tracing and, and smart cars and wearable tech. I think it's just a fascinating new area that we're, that we're going into. I agree. I agree. Now, Sunil, firmly back on the ground, and I want to talk to you about your plans. Um, Engerhaus Networks has been developing solutions for the telecoms world for years. Can you expand for our listeners on your philosophy of creating building blocks for the industry? So Engerhaus can be uh, described as uh, coming up with solutions that are um, complementary, open, solutions that address industry pain points. At Enthouse, we have over uh, 50 products in our portfolio. Enthouse has grown through acquisition and, and consolidation. I've been with the company for uh, over 12 years, and during that time, um, we have integrated uh, over 17 acquisitions in, in the division that I oversee, which is Enthouse Networks. So we are creating um, a significant value for our customers 
versus our customers looking at uh, best of breed applications and and doing the integration on their own. The the idea of OpenNest is uh, uh, built on common frameworks, microservices, APIs, configurable, the multi-capability. And then when we talk of reliability, um, look, our, our systems, um, our, our solutions support uh, communication infrastructure for critical areas such as um, uh, telehealth and, and healthcare that are emerging. So um, they have to work consistently. Um, they have to be reliable. And, uh, you know, that has been uh, our pedigree and where we have come from over over the last uh, 30 years or so in, in Enchouse. Sunil, I, I kind of had a follow-up question to Jeremy's. You mentioned sort of these new emerging services that the telecoms, you know, it's really had been sort of a transformation over the past two decades. Can you offer some insight into like what changes you've noticed the most as the new players are sort of entering the market and offering these new services? So the industry in general, the telco, is driven by a massive uh, change and I'd say disruption that, that, by the way, has been happening for a couple of years and uh, from, from some key areas. One is the emergence of um, cloud computing and um, the expectation for ubiquitous, uh, infinite uh, capacity and resource pooling so moving essentially moving away from bare metal to uh, infrastructure building blocks in the cloud that's a combination of compute storage and network capability platforms as a service and uh, software as service applications the other big area is that when we look at big data it continues to evolve along three dimensions along size that's the amount of data being generated Think of um, smartphones and social media and connected cars and the speed, the rate at which that data grows, as well as a shape. So data is no longer about uh, just about uh, some structured data that's sitting in a relational database, but we are talking about images and video and telemetry, texts and emails, uh, you know, uh, social media content and uh, unstructured data. The third element is uh, artificial intelligence. Now, AI has been around since the 1950s, but what has changed is um, the proliferation of data and big data. So it continues to grow along these three dimensions, growing in size, speed, and uh, shape. And we no longer talk about bits and bytes and megabytes. We are talking about um, uh, zettabytes, which is one sextillion bytes or 1,000 to the power of seven bytes, essentially. Well, uh, the difference is that artificial intelligence, although it has been around since the 1950s, it now has this massive amount of um, and diverse data set to be able to work on that improves the outcome and the precision of the outcome. Uh, and the last element is, um, Josh, uh, you know, you, you talked about the Internet of Things. I've read a definition for it. It's uh, the ubiquitous censoring of value chains uh, so that all, all the devices in the chains become um, remotely machine addressable in near real time. So when you think of the uh, volume of data, the rate of proliferation of um, sensors, artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, and cloud computing. Uh, the, the telco essentially is the hub of all this exciting 
connectivity that is uh, transforming this data. So uh, telcos around the world, as you know, are scrambling to react to this proliferation of network communication and, and to be able to transport this data, which is bursty and elastic. It is no longer about voice and messaging and connecting humans. It's all about uh, machine to machine interaction. So we're seeing a, a massive transformation that, is, that began a couple of years ago, but I believe will continue to evolve and gain momentum as we move along in a post-COVID era. Yeah, Sunil, you said before you have a vision for self-healing, zero-fault and autonomous networks bringing connectivity in both 5G and the IoT era. Can, can you tell us a bit more about how you envisage this? Yeah, so when we talk about um, the transformation that is a result of uh, big data uh, and you think about the network, the network can no longer be um, designed, planned, and engineered in a static manner. It will have to be elastic to be able to scale up and down. It will need to be automated, the provisioning and the scalability of the network. Uh, AI and machine learning will be fundamental building blocks of dynamically configuring networks in real time uh, to deal with uh, bursty and massive um, data traffic volumes. Um, we, we are able to significantly reduce human interaction between man and machine. I think I saw uh, Nokia beginning to use uh, the term extreme automation. So when we move to this new idea of extreme automation and closed loop feedback systems, where the network can automatically be um, continuously, automatically and continuously adapt to changing external parameters. For example, again, in the context of um, the subject that uh, Josh loves, IoT, think of an um, oil wellhead blowout that is an impending environmental disaster that can ca cause a whole bunch of sensors in a particular region of the network to send massive amounts of data across the network for a very short period of time, right? You cannot really um, effectively pre-provision and engineer the network to deal with those types of scenarios. Um, so, you know, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence is going to provide both the uh, required degree of automation and zero fault tolerance needed to support these types of um, evolving networks. Sunil, you mentioned a couple times now, talking about this concept of, you know, uh, this massive amount of data coming over a network. You know, telecoms are going to need a pretty you know, robust infrastructure to support all this data, as you've, as you've sort of talked about. And I think I mentioned it earlier, but can you speak to sort of the role that, you know, fiber deployments might play in that and what sort of the other value-added services you've described, how are, how are CSPs going to use those to differentiate themselves? Okay, at the uh, risk of, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, some objection from um, our audience here, I, I would say that uh, 5G is uh, fiber. Um, uh, and until some other wireless technology, um, such as 5G, is proven at scale, which uh, I think is uh, many years out. Uh, fiber is probably the one of the only mediums that can um, uh, 
deliver infinite or near infinite capability and um, uh, secure services to the premise, whether whether it be at home, as we are increasingly witnessing in a in a work from home environment, or connectivity to a data center or or a um, uh, or a cloud or an industrial premise. Um, in any event, even if we see wireless um, replace some of that capability or fiber in the last mile, it's pretty much going to remain uh, the backbone of connecting devices in, in the network. And um, wireless antenna is an example in the context of um, 5G. Thanks, Sunil. Um, I'm guessing if people want to know more about uh, everything that you've just described, uh, the bl- best place to find out would be at edgehousenetworks.com. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's right. Brilliant. Um, I can recommend it. I've had a look at the website already, and there is a ton of stuff to understand there. So uh, probably worth getting a, uh, a few minutes and a cup of coffee and going ha- having a look. Um, okay, guys, we've reached the section of the podcast called What the Tech? where we share the tech stories that either amused or amazed us. Uh, Josh, you first this time. What's caught your eye? (laughs) Well, I I might have taken it a little too literally when I was looking around because um, I I found a rather humorous article about teaching AI humor and uh, (laughs) the the challenges with that. You know, everybody has a uh, that crazy uncle or that grandpa with the one liners and uh, you can knock them out. and there's this this kind of interesting article about teaching AI algorithms to generate its own jokes and to some pretty funny results. You know, things like, uh, I like my war, like my coffee, cold, you know. <laughs> and one of the challenges they're, they're experiencing is that, and it's sort of a fun sort of thought process about what is actually humor to humans. It's sort of, you know, categorical and ambiguous. It's hard to define. Um, so it's difficult to train an AI to actually think like a human brain because there are so many different, uh, factors into what makes us laugh. So it it was just interesting to see what these uh, researchers would come up with, uh, teaching this AI, some sort of basic humor algorithms. And it would just, it would just sort of come up with, uh, often funny, sometimes inappropriate things. (laughs) I I won't cite them here. Um, yes, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) and it's sort of a reflection on ourselves too we try to teach ai what we think is funny and then it comes back and well it's not funny it's just structured like your typical knock knock joke or your i like my ex like my y and uh it's just it was really sort of a fun read and it was kind of humorous to see the the challenges and what what would come out of it um trying to trying to train this ai model to be funny it's it's strange, isn't it? Because you often think of humor uh, being dominated by people who are spontaneous and wacky. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure AI does. Well, it can do spontaneity because it's quick, but it doesn't do wacky. No, it's, it's absolutely great at performing basic tasks that have sort of a linear uh, approach to them. But it it turns out it's not very good at um taking all these different factors that are sort of hard to define. Maybe what's funny to me is not funny to you. And it's kind of just an interesting sort of look into how we, our relationship with technology and how we're trying to shape it and the the different results that come out of that. 
Yeah, I can't help thinking that Monty Python's crown is still fairly <laughs> safe. They actually they actually reference Monty Python in this article. Um, they were trying to trying to get it to replicate some of the the jokes that come out of that. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, though, right? That's the thing. I don't think a computer would not come up with that. It just doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem feasible. That it, it seems like it has to come from. Monty Python, right, it has to come from a brain that has all of these different uh, worldviews and different factors attributed to it. So it's just sort of a, you know, it's funny to see what comes out of it. It's sort of more of a reflection on ourselves rather than uh, than technology. I think it is. Suno, what made you smile or, or frustrated you? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if, uh, you know, if, if, if this is funny or not, but... Um, I uh, read about this um, restaurant in Seoul in uh, South Korea that um, came up with an AI robot that serves uh, customers, and and they did this in order to minimize human contact and and, uh, help with social distancing. So it's after customers order food through a touchscreen, I I guess, you know, many restaurants now have... um, iPads and you can order your um, food off the menu on a touchscreen. But um, this was actually uh, about a 1.5 meter uh, tall robot that's developed by a South Korean telecoms company called uh, KT Corp uh, that brings uh, the food and it uses um, virtual simultaneous, it's called SLAM, simultaneous localization and mapping to avoid obstacles and navigate around uh, customers. Uh, the, the robot can apparently deliver food to up to four tables at once um, using KT's AI platform. It's equipped with food trays, can carry up to 30 kilograms um, and an LCD screen and and um, get this, uh, it, it can communicate both in uh, Korean and English, so you can just think about how you might want to um, customize this r- robot. But it got me thinking as to, you know, if, if you can do that, then what's next? Um, can you have a machine um, replace a chef and uh, automatically produce your food at your table? Would I want to go to a restaurant like that? Would it be fun? I don't know, but it certainly uh, gives you the scale of evolution. I've always felt that, um, you know, t- technology uh, was an evolution and not a revolution, but, but this seems to be proving me wrong. <laughs> and, uh, it leaves me wondering as to what's next. I wonder how long I, until they put Alexa in those things so you can just talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be Jeff Bezos is going to be all over that. I've, I've worked in a French restaurant and learned the hard way that I can only do this in one language. So uh, I'll be very impressed with anything that can do it in uh, Korean and English. Uh, I would love to watch it trying to navigate uh, around drunken customers, though. That could be really entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> or have the, the drunken customers navigate around the robot, I think, is probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> the bigger issue. Yes, that may come first. Um, I love that. Uh, sadly, the one the news story that I found isn't one that exactly amazed me, but it's a story we might have wished we never had to write. Um, it's a report from our AI-focused website, The Evolving Enterprise, called Real Fake 
graphic novel aims to explain disinfo and cyber warfare. Uh, among the hazards online today that we've all become familiar with, unfortunately, are deep fakes, um, fake uh, videos and still images that uh, uh, we could all do without, plus bots and troll farms spreading disinformation. Um, the question that the people behind this work were asking themselves is how do we train the young to spot a fake? And a report on the ee.ai says that a company called Early Stage Studios has just published a digital graphic novel called, would you believe, Real Fake, as part of the Resilience series that's been commissioned by the U.S. Cyber Infrastructure and Security Agency, CISA, that we mentioned earlier. You see how this is all <coughs> seamlessly woven together. Um, Real Fake <laughs> will use fictional stories and these are inspired by real world events to inform and to educate people on the dangers of disinformation and misinformation. Only in real fate, the readers get to meet the heroine, Rachel O'Sullivan, a gamer, a patriot and a member of Simus, a group fighting disinformation and foreign interference in elections pretty topical, I guess, with the recent U.S. elections. Um, the founder and CEO of Early Stage Studios, who is Farid Hack, tells the EE.ai, while the story is fictional, many of the approaches shown are very much grounded in the reality of the technology we live in and are exposed to almost, um, we are exposed to almost daily. In the story, a group of citizens, he says, are racing against the clock and they want to prove who the sponsors of disinformation are via their puppet farms set up around the world to troll democracy. So um, no small task. And if um, uh, early stage studios are successful, good luck to them. It's a uh, something that we're happy to report and I'd love to report some success in it. Anyway, um, I'm afraid, gentlemen, time is up. I can't believe that shot passed already. Let me finish, therefore, by saying a big thank you to Sunil Diaz of Eng House Networks. Firstly, for sharing your expertise on a wide range of issues, Sunil, and secondly, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you. And my thanks also to Josh Taubenheim of Mac Nation for your expertise across IoT and a great many other areas. It's been great to have you here, Josh. Thanks, Jeremy. It's been great. Thank you, too, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us around the world. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you find this pod. And go on, be a total star. Give us a five-star rating and big up the podcast. I hate asking but it's free and it makes such a difference when people are looking for a new pod to try out. Until the next time, keep safe, keep checking vanillaplus.com, iot-now.com and the ee.ai for tech news and features. And join us again very soon for another Tech Trends podcast looking at enterprise digital transformation. Bye for now.